How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 77 of X-Lapsed. And today, we're uh, rolling on with our number 10s. We're going to be talking about X-Force, volume 6, number 10. Cover dated June 2020. Uh, the story is called The Deadly Garden, written by Benjamin Percy, with art by Joshua Kassara. Colors, Guru EFX, letters, VCs, Joe Caramagna, designs, Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman, edits, Robinson White-Zabolsky, cover price, $3.99. And this one went on sale July 10th of 2020. So this is a very interesting Indicia uh, issue here because the Indicia date is actually before the release date, which we almost never see. So, of course, we know the reasons why, but uh, it's still an interesting little bit of trivia, uh, at least for the physical copy of the uh, periodical magazine comic book here. Uh, I think the digital versions have been updated to reflect the actual uh, cover date, but... Hey, I'm, I'm going with physical, so uh, we're sticking with the physical. So let's get on into it here. We open in the 10 minutes ago. We're in Terra Verde, where we left Wolverine, Domino, and Kid Omega last issue. Now, Wolverine and Domino, they're having a bit of a chat about the fact that Domino came back from the dead without her traumatic memories here. Um... If you recall, she was very, very clear about wanting to keep those traumatic memories because, you know, they were a part of her. She wanted to remember everything, so she didn't want to be altered. She came back altered, and here she is being questioned about it, and she brushes it off and uh, more or less tells Wolverine to, to back off, you know. She doesn't want to answer any more questions about it. Though I gotta say, in fairness to De Domino, she was killed twice last month, so she might just be confused about which resurrection Logan's talking about in the first place. Anyway, they continue walking here, and they trigger a booby trap of sorts, which nearly impales them on some very long thorns. Quentin is able to use his powers to save them, stops the thorns from coming in on them, though he claims he probably should have let them die. This way, he would instruct the Five to put a version of his own brain in their bodies during the resurrection process, so they'll follow him around like, quote, leg-humping groupies. Well, I suppose we all have our fetishes. Now, they continue making their way until they come across a pretty gross fresco or cave painting or mixed-media art exhibit. Whatever it is, it's, it's disgusting, and uh, from it, they're able to deduce that these plants have been growing here for ages. And, uh, well, they're angry. The plants, that is. Wolverine and Quentin find themselves snagged away by various vines and yoinked into their potential demises. Domino still remains, though she's completely alone and in the dark. Let's do a roll call here. Today we're going to feature Domino, Wolverine, Kid Omega, Black Tom Cassidy, Sage, Beast, and Marvel Girl. From here, a couple of pages of credits. 
then an info page, and it's all about the fact that Beast done goofed. You know, he accidentally turned Terra Verde's Telefloronics into a weapon. And Terra Verde itself is now a collective plant-like intelligence. Which, uh, you know, kind of sucks. It's kind of dangerous. Interestingly enough, Hank spends the final paragraph of this page talking about how this is, in fact, a good thing. <laughs> Which is really kind of cool. I like the way he's trying to justify this uh, this whole thing after the fact here. It's like, yeah, this is really, really bad, but, ooh, they're... they're you know, this this was going to happen anyway, so this is a good thing. We'll be able to figure things out. So uh, Beast is, you know, doing some mental and uh, moral gymnastics here. Back to comics. Black Tom Cassidy is about to step through a Krakoan portal en route to Terra Verde. He's having second, third, maybe even fourth thoughts, and is coming across as even more unbalanced than usual. I think he says the word veg about a dozen times on this page alone. And I gotta ask, is, is Veg like a, a Britishism? Like, is Percy, like, really, really proud of himself for having Tom use this word skatey 800 times this issue? Uh, this is kind of like in high school, where, like, a kid finds out about words like pub, flat, lift, and chip, and won't stop mentioning them in conversations so they can appear more worldly. Uh, it's like, dude, enough. We get it. Back to comics, back to Domino. She's in the dark, right? And so she uses that gross Krakoan Mega Man arm cannon gimmick that Forge gave her a few issues back in order to create, like, a night vision goggle over her right eye. And it's a pretty cool idea. I think it's, uh, I like the fact that we're using this weird arm cannon gimmick thing that Forge said can be anything you want it to be. And here she is using it for a very uh, pragmatic reason here. So we follow her as she follows the tracks left by Wolverine's claws. Now, as Wolverine was being yoinked away, he dug his claws into the ground and was dragged, so it gives Domino an easy path to find him. And she manages to find him, in fact, and uh, he is strapped to an altar surrounded by uh, a bunch of veg warriors. Do do I sound worldly yet? I said veg, 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 veg. Uh, She is spotted and attacked. From here, we jump back to Krakoa. Now, Beast, he's on the horn here. He's frantically trying to get a, to get a hold of the four X-Forces he sent to Terra Verde. However, nobody is responding. He then finds himself visited by Jean Grey. And she be ticked. You see, she figured Hank was up to something and decided to take a trip inside the vast library that is his mind. And, uh, you know, that, that's not cool, is it? You know, to do that without any kind of a... Yeah, well, well, we'll keep going. Now, she knows about his goof-up and the measures he was taking in order to keep it from her. She calls him a liar, to which he suggests that X-Force is a team born out of lies because they need to omit some truths in order to, you know, keep order. Jean disagrees, claiming that X-Force only exists out of trust. Trust to do the right thing for mutantum. Hank is all, okay, gonna stop you right there, and he proceeds to hit her with one of them moral dilemmas that probably sounded really, really deep in freshman ethics class. It's the, you know, would you sacrifice one to save the rest quandary, in that, yeah, Beast, you know, he effed up the president of Terra Verde's son, but he only did so in order to save countless others, Terra Verdans and Krakoans alike. Jean tells Hank to shut up at his face, because she ain't buying it. He then calls her out for intruding on his mind, which... I mean, Beast has been an absolute ass for most of this series, but dude's kind of got a point here. From here, we go to an info page. It's written by somebody. 
It's signed with some Russian writing, which, well, this isn't the first time we're seeing that, is it? Now, this page blames Beast for uh, pretty much everything. Uh, It talks about the threat that Telefloronics pose to everyone. It considers what might happen should the mutants lose Krakoa. It also makes it clear that whoever is writing this is actually, like, in the room seeing this exchange between Hank and Jean, or at least has access to it. We learn here that Jean stormed out, claiming that X-Force has been entrusted with secrets, but they can't have secrets covered by even more secrets. Uh, they need to not keep things from one another, and there has to be a, you know, some sort of a formal checks and balances system in place. And, as mentioned, this place is signed in Russian. I'm not sure if it's the same Russian word that we saw the last time. I think it probably is, but uh, I still don't know what that means, though uh, we do have our suspicions. Back to comics. Now, Black Tom is, well, he's Black Tomming all over Terra Verde, saying veg a whole lot while fighting with the veg. He's then joined by Jean Grey and Sage, the latter of whom looks like she's searching for Dr. Livingston. Uh, They make fun of her outfit for a bit, which is cute, but it doesn't feel like something Sage would do. Um, She seems a little too serious to me, and maybe a little too self-aware to knowingly make herself look quite this foolish. Anyway, our trio heads for the temple. Now inside, Quentin Quire, stop me if you heard this one before, Quentin Quire's been killed. (laughs) And it's really grotesque. He's been loaded into, like, a pod, and now has flowers and mushrooms growing out of his face. It's disgusting. He's torn to pieces, releasing a whole bunch of telefloronic spores into the air. It's really gross. Um, so this would be Kid Omega's third death in as many months, huh? Now stop me if you heard this one. Domino dies, too. So she has three deaths in two months. This is getting ridiculous, isn't it? It's to the point where I'm expecting someone to pop like their head out of the corner of a panel and shout, like, you killed Kenny or something, because this is like this is going, this is veering into parody. Uh, Wolverine, however, manages to slice his way through the veg. Then, Jean, Sage, and Tom do something. Uh, Jean compares the temple to a hard drive and then themselves as a Trojan. Jean then... Merges minds and powers and somehow shuts down the Telefloronic bunch? I'm not exactly sure what we just saw, but the good guys won, so yay? Eh? I don't know. Later, we join Wolverine in a Krakoan bath. He's soon joined by Jean, who reveals that she's quitting X-Force. Now, Wolverine is not surprised. In fact, he guessed it straight away before she even said anything. He wonders what'll happen to the group without its moral compass... And, you know, if only we had eh, maybe over a quarter a century worth of X-Force stories that didn't include Jean Grey to refer to, we'd have some sort of an idea of how X-Force might work without Jean in it. Ah, too bad we don't. Now, Jean suggests that Sage might fill that role, but then considers adding Colossus to the team, which, I mean, that's fitting, right, considering Colossus was on the cover to X-Force number one all those months before. We wrap up with Jean and Wolverine making out a bit, which I am not a fan of and I will never be a fan of. But that is where we leave it with X-Force number 10. Next episode, we reach the halfway point of the giant sizes with giant size X-Men colon Magneto number 1. But first, let's talk about this issue here. Um, This felt a little uneven. I liked it for the most part. But it wasn't a comfortable read, not, not only for the grotesque Quentin Quire death scene either. This issue, and I mean, this is a very odd complaint, or maybe an odd observation, I suppose, but I feel like it was trying to tell too much story. 
I mean, that's a crazy, crazy complaint in this age of decompressed storytelling to complain that we're trying to tell too much story. Because in doing so, this issue wasn't able to give any of the threads that it was trying to cover the proper time. You know me, I am not a fan of decompression. But if there were a scene that might have needed a few more pages of dialogue to make a proper point, I'd say the Beast and Gene confrontation might be one of those. Because this felt very anticlimactic and so matter-of-fact that I don't think it had the proper impact. Um, we've been built into the scene for like four issues now, which, yeah, I understand would be in the same trade paperback as this issue, which is probably the whole point, but still, for those readers who waited four months not counting the COVID lapse, I think this should have been more of a satisfying payoff. Um, here, Gene just scanned Beast's mind, which feels out wildly out of character for her to do so, and told him what he did was wrong. I mean, teen Gene from the Bendis team would invade minds without a second thought, but not the real Gene, right? I feel like Gene should have discovered Beast's secret due to his own sloppiness in covering it up. You know, perhaps Hank's feelings of intellectual superiority would come back and bite him. Maybe he was a little too aloof and a little bit too pleased with himself and might have overlooked something that would have wound up spilling the beans anyway, you know? I think... I, I just think there was a better way to do this. Um... I also would have liked this scene to become a little bit more personal, more classic, you know, X-Men angsty. I mean, they wrapped this entire scene up in a paragraph in an info page. That was our climax to the scene. It was, we were being told it in a paragraph of an info page. That should not have happened. Um, the Terra Verde scenes, there's eh, not much to them. Um, Domino and Quentin died. Again. Again. I hope this is leading somewhere, otherwise this is just awful. Uh, the last thing we all need is for me to go off on yet another tangent about how overused mutant deaths are in this era, and the Percy books in particular, so I won't. But you know my feelings on this. Oddly, with how many scenes were shortchanged in this issue, we still somehow got a few full pages of Black Tom Black Tomming around saying veg dozens of times. Was that really necessary? Did it add anything to the story other than allowing Percy to type the word veg a bunch? Eh. Uh, the ending. Gene and Logan in the hot tub. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm never going to be a fan of the Gene-Scott-Logan open relationship love triangle thing, uh, no matter how hard they try to push it. To me, it, it's Scott and Gene only. That's it. Um, this open relationship going on between the, the three of them is not something I'm ever going to glom on to. That's not a fault of the issue or this writer. It's just something I prefer we didn't see more of. I, I will concede I might be in the minority here. If so, that's fine. Uh, Gene quitting X-Force feels out of character, mostly because, to me, Gene would have never been part of X-Force to begin with. But since she was, I don't see her just walking away. I'd see her sticking around mostly to make sure things like this don't happen again. So now, in knowingly turning a blind eye to what's going on behind the curtain... I mean, it almost feels like she's kind of complicit in it, doesn't it? I mean, she knows Beast is doing this crazy, crazy stuff. Um, all this ambiguously, you know, immoral stuff. And rather than trying to put a stop to it or trying to maybe take his place as leader, she's just like, okay, now I'm going to you know, stick my head in the sand and you do what you're going to do. And uh, that just doesn't seem like Gene to me. Overall... Despite everything I just pointed out, I thought this was a good issue. Uh, 
They definitely left a bit of money on the table with some of these scenes. And it could have been far better, but it was still good. Uh, There is a feeling of truncation here, but at the same time, we're also rapidly approaching X of 10, so for all I know, that very well might have been the case. Still good, though. Still worth reading, especially if you read the previous, uh, you know, three or four issues. This one, you won't even notice uh, that this one was maybe a little bit lesser than if you're reading it in the trade, which is what Marvel's banking on. You're not even going to notice, but uh, decent, not great. So that, my friends, was X-Force number 10. But before we go, let's dip into the mailbag here. I think some of the things I might say here might be controversial, and I promise I'm not trying to be a uh, provocateur of any sort here. But uh, let's get into it here. This is a an email from Damien talking about Hellions number one. He says, Hellions 1 might be the perfect first issue. Of course, it's helped by featuring a team of characters from my era of the X-Men. I'm also becoming more and more enamored with Sassy Sinister. Honestly, this issue made my day. So much fun and intrigue. And it was really, really good. I liked it a lot, too. And Sassy Sinister is also growing on me as well. Um, I really, I just can't wait for the next issue. I, I, this is, uh, I think this is going to be a Marauders-level sort of book for me, where... I didn't expect anything from it, and each time out, it might just rock my socks here. You know, we're, we're one issue in, so I'm being uncharacteristically optimistic, but uh, fingers crossed, right? Fingers crossed. Damien continues. I just wanted to offer my opinion on your response to my feedback. You said that no one should be allowed to mess with the Marvel Universe unless they had created a major non-derivative character for Marvel. I would argue that no one should create a new character for Marvel unless they hugely change their policies. It shocks me that Jim Starlin received less money for all the movies starring Thanos combined than he did for the use of KGB's real, KG Beast's real name in one of the DC movies. Similarly, Len Wein and his estate made more from Lucius Fox than from Wolverine. Okay, now I, I certainly agree that changes need to be made, especially nowadays as it pertains to things like royalties, right? 100%. 100%. I'm in agreement with you. Perhaps if the scope of comics was a bit different going back to the mid-20th century, we'd have a whole lot more happy creators out there. But it wasn't. Nobody saw the glut of comics-based movies in the future. Nobody saw that. Maybe Stan Lee did, but uh, because in every bullpen bulletins page, he was always in Hollywood working on his deals. And nothing happened, but he was always working on it. Back then, comics were just comics. Personally, I'm in the minority here. I wish we can go back to a time like that. But, I mean, I know when I'm beat. I made a comment about having skin in the game. Uh, when you, If you're going to be trusted to change, to break, to destroy a universe, a shared universe with nearly a century's worth of history, I stand by my comment that you should have skin in the game. Okay? Which isn't necessarily all financial. You know, some of it, sure, is pointed toward profit uh, and having an actual financial interest or stake in the universe that our insert flavor of the week creator here is given the green light to mangle and untangle as they see fit. That's that's secondary. The financials are si- secondary to me because I'm not writing anybody's contracts. I'm not paying anyone's checks. Nobody owes me a dime, and I don't owe anybody else a dime. The money is something I can't control here. My main... My point of view, insofar as skin in the game, is directed toward actually having some intellectual skin in the game. Such as non-derivative properties. And of course, let's, let's say, perfect scenario here. Marvel, DC, 
They say, okay, here's the, here's the new deal going forward. You get X amount, sign on the dotted line, or don't. You know, but there is something in place. Let's say perfect, perfect world, there is something in place here where these creators can profit off of use of their characters in other forms of media. So that's, that's you know, that's our foundation. Now, non-derivative properties, characters, and concepts are important. Uh, and the fact that they could be screwed with and irreversibly destroyed by the next writer that handles them is a big deal. Because, say, you, you just, you know, pour your heart and soul into a character or a team book or a concept, and then you... You work on that for a few years, and then you leave the book. You go to a different book. You go to a different company. Maybe you go to the movies, right? The next creator comes on and says, you know what? I don't like what this guy did. I'm going to destroy this character. I feel like, and this is a huge might, I feel like if that were a possibility, it might give creators a little bit more respect for creations, and they might, and again, a huge might here, might not be so quick to break all the toys. Maybe stunt writing wouldn't uh, be quite the thing that it is right now. Let's bring up our friend Rob Liefeld again. Now, this is a fellow who couldn't help but to create new characters. Even going back to 1989, 1990, when his pals Todd and Jim were telling him, just stop making characters for Marvel, because Marvel wasn't going to give him any of the rights. He couldn't help himself. He kept creating characters because he loved what he did. He created Shatterstar, right? Shatterstar is a character who, despite not being all that deep at creation, was was kind of a big deal. And, you know, my metric for this sort of thing is looking in a price guide and seeing what Shatterstar appearances were going for, as well as what Shatterstar's trading card was going for, because his trading cards were worth quite a bit more than a random Marvel trading card. Now, down the line, it was decided to make Shatterstar gay. Liefeld commented without passing any sort of judgment, didn't say anything derogatory. He just said that his, that wasn't his original vision for the character. Okay, So Liefeld had skin in the game in this character and disagreed with what Marvel was doing with it. Right? People rained down on him like crazy, piling on almost gleeful, saying, Hey Rob, go F yourself, you don't own that character. You don't own that character, so you have no say. That's kind of interesting to me. I mean, sometimes we as a collective fandom will choose to stand up for a creator, and sometimes we will choose not to. Um, when it's a beloved or well-respected creator who is getting the shaft from the box office, well, then we start creating hashtags, and we change our Twitter avatars to be the character that they're being shafted for. You know, nobody's hitting Starlin with the fact that, hey, dude, you don't own Thanos. Nobody's saying that. Nobody's saying that, damn. It's like, oh, man, you're getting screwed. But when it's Rob making a simple statement, he is crapped on. Now, neither of these things are good, and it's not a one-to-one thing, because I'm not talking about financials here, and, of course, you know, money talks. I'm talking about the fact that the skin-in-the-game comment is more about respecting creations rather than creators. That's kind of my point of view here, because I I can't control deals that are made. I can't control contracts. That's stuff that has to happen at a different level than... It's way above my pay grade. I'm here to read comics and talk about comics. I'm not here to talk about what's going on behind the scenes as much, because that'll just drive us all crazy. And I know I do veer into that, and probably veer into it too often for my own good, but... And at the end of the day, there definitely needs to be something in place to protect creators. 
At the same time, I can't change the past. None of us can. And, and I mean, uh, I'm not about to go up against Disney or Warner Brothers. You know, I'm just some idiot with an X-Men podcast who's clearly talking out my ass here. <laughs> so, my main point, I feel like if you're given the keys to the castle, right... You say you're a Jonathan Hickman, a Brian Bendis, a Jeff Johns, a Tom King, and you're told, yes, you can unmake, remake, destroy this entire fictional universe, remake it in your own vision, disregarding the fact that thousands of people before you built, toiled over, sweated over, poured their hearts and souls into for nearly a century, then maybe you have some skin in the game. If not financially, then intellectually. Don't just break things, make things as well, right? Of course, this is just me shaking my fist at a cloud because a lot of changes and protections need to be put in place before we can even get into this sort of a discussion. But hopefully, we'll eventually get to a point where we are getting new characters again and creators aren't getting the shaft. I'm all for protecting the creators, but at the same time, I'm a fan of comics. I want new ideas in comics. And I'm a superhero fan, so I want new ca- new ideas and new characters in superhero comics. I know there's plenty of great stuff out there on the indies. Frankly, I don't have the brain space for it. I'm, I'm all in on my little corner of the Marvel Universe here with the X-Men, and I want to see, see some skin in the game from uh, the creators as well. But that's just me. Hopefully, hopefully I didn't turn everybody off there. I'm definitely not anti-creator, so I don't want I hope it doesn't come across like I sound like that, but uh, I am pro-entertainment. <laughs> I, I want what I want, and uh, perhaps I'm, you know, juvenile and selfish, but uh, I am what I am. Uh, Damien continues, you would have to be an idiot to give an interesting new character to Marvel. They might end up be in one of the most watched movies of all time, and you earn almost nothing. And yes, you're 100% right. You are 100% right, I cannot argue that at all Because uh, in my perfect world, there wouldn't be comic book movies anymore There would just be comics So, I mean, I'm the wrong guy to ask But, no, you're 100% right Uh, Damien wraps up with By the way, you can let Evan know that the UK is protected from Selkies By an organized system of Selkie defense classes Which are a key element of our schooling Druids are far easier. We just give them the occasional barrel of mead and then ignore the resulting public nudity. So now we know. See, I I didn't just say veg today a bunch of times. I'm actually learning more about the world from our mailbag segment. So thank you so, so much, Damien, for uh, your thoughts and uh, inspiring my rambling, you know, skin-in-the-game rant. So thank you so, so much. Now, if anyone out there would like to get a hold of me, and if I didn't turn everybody off with my comments, uh, please feel free to reach out to me. I'm available on Twitter at Ace Comics and uh, via email at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. Also, xlabs.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can talk to us on Facebook at 90sxmen, and you can listen to the entire Chris and Reggie audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Uh, we'll wrap it up right here. One giant thank you to everyone for deciding to spend your day, or at least you know half hour of your day with me today. I really, really appreciate it. And until next time, as always, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya.